it's not enough to oppose an idea, a government or politician know exactly what you stand for. They were saying what they would do explicitly and for that they counted on the philosophical convictions that most people in Venezuela held implicitly. What do you think uh, is the solution for Lebanon? It's like there's a fire in the kitchen and you're asking me, what do you think is the solution? Go yeah. tame the fire. Short-term goals depend on long-range goals. The media helped promote not just politicians, but a specific method of thinking, of confusion, uncertainty, and epistemological sloppiness. Not even the most powerful military in the world dared to challenge that. They dared to you know, challenge them in the, in the battlefield. But intellectually, they didn't face any kind of opposition. One must know that the battle is intellectual. Welcome to Ideas on Trial. I'm your host, Leopold Ajami, and I have with me my co-host, Ricardo Pinto. Hello, Ricardo. Hello, how is it going? I'm good, good. You know, before we start today, I just want to say that I've been thinking about how much I've learned from this podcast. This is so amazing. It's giving me a lot of clarity and a lot of joy. So I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank all our listeners for following us and listening and sharing your feedback and reviews. So thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. It's been an emotional roller coaster because sometimes we, we don't have ideas. We don't know what to talk about, but we push ourselves. And even though we are always, we always think that we can improve. And I think that's a healthy attitude. Yeah. We say something and, yeah. and we we try our best to grapple with ideas. Absolutely. Uh, I think today we have a jaw-dropping topic. And the inspiration of this topic came from my latest visit to my home country, Lebanon. And I had a discussion with Ricardo, who's originally from Venezuela, And we discovered that we share, unfortunately, a lot of similarities um, in our own countries. But the reason why we have an interesting topic is not because we're talking about Lebanon, nor because we're talking about Venezuela. And I promise you, even if you have no interest about these two countries, we're going to be exploring a very important topic. Basically... We want to talk about an undisputed idea, an idea that somehow, at least implicitly, we accept and take for granted. And we can see the application of it in some countries uh, that are very similar to Lebanon and Venezuela, but also in sometimes in our own lives, in our business workplace. And the idea is that it's not enough to oppose something, to oppose an idea. It's not enough to oppose a government or politician. It's not enough to attack certain ideas. What's very important is to know exactly what you stand for. 
Would you agree to that summary, Ricardo? Yes, absolutely. And I want to add that I know we have many listeners in in Europe and the United States which are yeah. not living in countries in crisis like Lebanon and Venezuela or Latin America in general. But I think this is equally important to that because uh, the idea we're going to present here also applies to an, an institutional environment like a university, how to face the yeah. certain debates, certain approach to, let's say, the understanding of race, the understanding of feminism, etc. So keep listening and, and you'll see the meat of our approach. Yeah, absolutely. So, so to give you guys like a context of how this episode idea came about, I had a trip to Lebanon and I was shocked. I mean, every time I go, I'm shocked to see how in crisis the country is. Okay, let me intervene here because you were yeah. more than shocked. <laughs> you were, I'm going to take this from, from a movie called Network because I saw you. Yeah. And there's a phrase there that everyone repeats. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. That was... <laughs> That was your attitude. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was hell. I mean, I don't live there. I'm not in that crisis somehow. But I feel for the people who are living there, they don't have electricity, no fuel, no water, no justice, nothing, right? And yeah. they're trying to demand for their basic needs. And after having a conversation with you, uh, we, we really thought about... Like, what is the problem? Because it seems to me that everyone is attacking the government and the current system and specifically the politician who were governing for the last 40 years till now. And I see that their attacks are valid. But the problem that I noticed is that the opposition and the people who are trying to rebel against the government they actually don't really stand for opposing views. And I want to try to explore that uh, with you, Ricardo, and to put it on the table to try to come up with, with a framework to think about the whole situation. But, but there's something about our discussion offline that inspired me. And it's the idea that you mentioned and you said that there's, there's something more important than politics that's happening in, in Lebanon, because you lived that in, in Venezuela. So let us start in the beginning by exploring the key problem. What is the key problem you think when it comes to creating change in, in a country in times of crisis? I think that the greatest challenge in that kind of context is that you have many fronts to start working on. Yeah. And all of them are failing dismally. So if you think of Lebanon right now, people have problems uh, finding food, finding energy in the health services. They yes. also have to deal with government corruption. They have a legal system that probably doesn't let them see any visibility of a solution. And of course, a yeah. tyrannical government that uh, uses force to repress people unjustly. So there is a, 
a, a very understandable need and push to try to think and find solutions that address those problems directly. Yeah, like a short-term solutions. Yes, and, and that is a valid perspective to have because you cannot build a vision for a country if you're hungry. Now, we're going to question that idea. So if you already disagree with that, bear with me. But it's true that you, you cannot start thinking about the long-range changes that the country needs if you don't have energy to power your house or your car, if you don't have um, minimum access to health and the barest resources you need for living. But apart from that, there is a question of what is it that we're trying to attain? And I think that it depends on the terms you accept. Do you want just a solution to the problem you have at hand? Or you want to really promote cultural change? And there is a question of whether it is even possible to find a short-term solution. But I think that the, the first question that comes up, especially in countries in crisis, but also in flaw institutions like some universities, you, you can think about that context, is yeah. what is it that we want to attain? In what time frame can, can I expect to reach that point? Ricardo, I, I agree with your view here, but also I would like to challenge something. And here I'm challenging myself because I, I al always had a pessimistic view about Lebanon. And every time somebody asks me, what do you think is a solution in Lebanon? Like the first thing that comes to my mind, that this is a wrong question. Like, for example, when the, when the rebellion started in Lebanon two years ago, people were asking me, my friends, and, you know, what, what do you think? Uh, you're into philosophy and all that. What do you think uh, is the solution for Lebanon? Should it we be rebelling and doing all that? And my answer has always been, this is an invalid question. It's like there's a fire in the kitchen and you're asking me, what do you think is the solution? <laughs> right? And the only solution is to go yeah. tame the fire. There's no other solution. So that's from a short-range perspective. And unfortunately, Lebanon has been firefighting for the last four years, if not more. But yeah. what I want to challenge is, it seems to me that there's no better time than now to create cultural change in Lebanon because of what's happening. Because it's one of very few times that all these visions about how worst it can go, the situation, is now very concrete. So now mm -hmm. people are actually living without food, without energy, without uh, fuel, without you name it, right? And it's very concrete. And that's why I want to try, with your help throughout this episode, to give, I don't want to say hope, but just a tinge of a guideline of what we can do, because now I think is the time to start a certain change. Uh, and we're going to explore that in our last segment on what can we do. But yeah, that's that's what I wanted to, to add uh, to your point. What can you do realistically? Yeah. Because I was even more pessimistic than you about Venezuela. I used to say you brought fire. I used to say, what is the solution to the country? Burn the damn thing. 
and start all over again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have that perspective anymore, but I still keep the recognition that it's it's not about one secret ingredient that you need mm. to find in order to solve the problems here. Okay, so we we were saying that if we want to create cultural change, we need two things. The first one is you need to unfortunately react to the short-term goals. Like if you're out of bread, you need to find a way to make bread or find bread. But that doesn't eliminate the need for long-term goals. And I, I want to explore that. Like what, what do you think are and should be the long-term goals for the people in Lebanon? Uh, or, right. or not just in Lebanon. In general, yes. In general. Well, the first thing that we need to recognize is that short-term goals and short-term needs depend on long-range goals. Yeah. And by long-range goals, I mean a vision of a country you want to build. It is not enough, I would dare to say, it's not even workable to try to solve problems on a concrete level, on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. You cannot find a solution to the problem of scarcity if you don't rethink the economic policy of a country. Yeah. You cannot find a solution to the legal barriers or the corruption that you see in the country if you don't rethink the legal system. But even there, there is a more important challenge, and which I think is the fundamental outlook that one needs to develop when it comes to promoting cultural change, which is you cannot address any of the problems in the economic system, in the legal system, in the key institutions of a country and the government if you don't have and you don't form a philosophy that informs your project in every detail. Yeah. The problem with that, and that's why I want to explore it more, the problem with that is when I say this to people who, who live in Lebanon or in Venezuela or who are facing similar situation in their workplace maybe, the problem with that is that people see philosophy as something very abstract and the response is we are hungry or we are facing injustice or we need energy, right? So immediately the reaction is on a short-term level. Like, what can I do now in order to keep on living? But, you know, there is an assumption there that it's also adopted by people sometimes. And it's a mindset that holds that we already have the project. We already have the laws. We already have a constitution. The problem Absolutely. is the people that apply them. The yes. problem is the elites or the big fishes that are not following the law or applying it properly. But if we could substitute those big fishes, those key people, then we wouldn't have, be having any problems. Absolutely. And this summarizes the, the common or I would say even the fashionable attitude towards politicians nowadays, specifically in Lebanon. 
And you, it's best summarized with the line that now the rebellion is promoting. Corrupting. Yeah, which is something along the line that all means all. Everyone means everyone. All politicians are responsible, right? And I have a problem with this with this tagline because if one it it's equalizing everybody, and I don't think that's that's just and that's clear, and it's not even objective. But two, I think the key problem is even in that fashionable motto, what you're trying to do is you're saying. I'm against all these people. I'm against politician. But what do you stand for? Uh, as you were saying, we're assuming that people already know what ideas they need in order to flourish. But unfortunately, I, I failed to see any flourishing ideas by the opposition. So I can't see ideas in the culture, intellectual ideas, that I can say, oh, these are ideas about freedom, whether political or economical, about flourishing. These are intellectual ideas that I can, you know, say I stand by these ideas. I think these ideas can promote the long-term vision of the country. And I think that's a key problem, which is always people are focusing on people, right? And I'm not saying it's invalid completely, like some politicians are really corrupt and they must be persecuted. That's, that's not an issue. But that's not enough. That's not enough. What do you yeah. stand for? What are the ideas that you think will promote the country? Yeah. And to be fair and to reinforce the last point you mentioned, there are some key people that do drive a culture, either yes. to better or or a worse past. For example, I couldn't think the problems that Venezuela is going through without a Hugo Chavez. Yeah. He was a key figure in promoting what he termed the socialism of the 21st century and in implementing it. And I don't think the idea would have reached an institutional level to the point that it did if it wasn't for him. Yeah. But his personality is totally dependent on the ideas that he, that he counting up. He was not an originator of those ideas. He was not a very deep philosophical theoretician. Yeah. But still, on his primitive, and I would even say vulgar level, he counted on the, and he wrote on the philosophical premises of his age. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's, you can find examples of what is usually called great men in history that you need to really pay attention to in order to explain the dynamics of history and culture. So yeah. think about someone like Napoleon or Adolf Hitler. Churchill. At some level, those men were fundamental in either improving or or, or yeah or destroying their countries on a more rapid scale that would otherwise happen without their intervention. But yeah. none of them, none of them are originators. Yeah. So what we're saying is that what drive change 
whether it's a positive or a negative change, is ultimately ideas and specifically yeah. philosophical ideas. And that's why we should be paying a lot of attention to these ideas. And as, a, as, a, as an additional proof to that, to give you an example from Lebanon, I find that one of the key reasons why we've reached this stage is because of the level of the media. I was, I was explaining to you a bit offline that for the last 30, 40 years, I've never seen any program on the on the media, whether it's a news program or an entertainment program, that is somehow, to some extent, intellectual. So the media helped promote not just politicians, but a specific method of thinking. And it bred confusion and uncertainty and what I would call epistemological sloppiness. So... People don't know how to think. People are just reacting to how, however the politicians are, are acting. So the media never sp spread ideas or intellectual ideas. But at the same time, by not, by not doing so, it helped spread cognitive bankruptcy. Right? It helped spread a wrong method of thinking. And it made everyone in the culture rush for politics everyone now is interested in politics but no one understand the base of politics which is ultimately philosophy yeah and and their interest in politics is actually interest in concrete level policies that affects them directly granted there are always people who are have a longer range perspective who are thinking about okay we need changes in the constitution we need changes in the system whether we We will make it secular or not. We need significant changes in the economic policy, not merely adding zeros or extracting zero from, from the currency or dollarizing it. So there are people like that. But I guess what we're saying is, apart from that, let me ask you this, because I, I, I can already expect so many people having objections to the idea that it's philosophy the most fundamental front to to work on and i think that's yeah. what we're saying but what does it mean to say that a culture is driven principally by philosophy and not people how how does that appear in front of our eyes because most people are not philosophical most yeah. people don't think in those terms so Well, how do you think you can see philosophy expressed in the culture and in society? Yeah. You know, I want to give you a very concrete and simple example from my observation in what was happening specifically in the rebellion that started in Lebanon. So briefly put, uh, the government of Lebanon is in total control of the economy. So the, the government controls everything it controls production it controls education healthcare everything now the opposing view they're actually demanding to change the people so that the new government will give them more food and more energy or better actually energy and better healthcare so what's happening here is that both these parties the government and the opposition 
are expressing the same philosophy. The philosophy of, I would call it statism. The philosophy of total control of the government. Only they're, uh, you know, opposing on who's to govern. But a right. proper so philosophical... Just to clarify that, sorry. Yeah. They see it as a problem of distribution merely, but not, they don't question the rightness of yes. even distributing their resources. Absolutely. So to acquire a philosophical mindset is to step back, as simply as that, is to step back and ask, wait a minute, what's the role of the government? Right? Like for let's start from there. What is the role of the government? How do I know that it's good if the government is controlling the economy, for example? And this is I think this is what's required at the most fundamental level is a some kind of an education of what is the role of the government, what gives rise to, why do we need a government at all? Right? And I I'm yep. with having a government, of course, but I'm saying asking these questions is very important if you want to create a cultural change, because you can't be demanding what you're already been presented, only you're asking it from different people. There won't be an opposition. And it's the result of not knowing what you want. So so that's one perspective that, that I would say philosophy is important. There's another one, but I'll give you the floor now. I want to underscore what you're saying in not only in promoting cultural change, but understanding what's going on around you, what, yeah. what your country is going through. Because, and I guess this applies to Lebanon, people in Venezuela would interpret the actions of uh, Hugo Chavez or uh, Nicolas Maduro, the current president, as Oh, they were actually hypocritical. The problem is that they were corrupt. The problem is in their character, in their personality, yeah. in the style. And don't get me wrong, there are problems there. But I think that when you adopt a philosophical outlook to explore and to interpret the problems that the country has been going through, What you can see is that they were not hypocritical at all. They were saying what they would do openly, explicitly, and for that they counted on the premises, the philosophical convictions that people, that most people in Venezuela held mostly implicitly. And just as an example, you can take, so if you look for Hugo Chavez speeches, And this is a guilty pleasure I have. You can see that the running theme is that to be rich is to be evil. And mm. of course, most people would not say that explicitly. I think many do, but yeah. many wouldn't have that as an explicit uh, drive. But still, because of the education we've gotten... Because we've yeah. been raised on the idea that our duty is to help others. There is a growing cultural suspicion about the rich, about yeah. the bourgeois, as he, as he called them. So that is just one example of how you can install a whole political economic system that most 
people today, I would dare to say, are opposed to with their tacit approval. Yeah. With the tacit approval of the people who are realizing now, I don't like the consequences. Well, But this leads they, me... they are not exploring the cause which they yeah. accept. Absolutely. And, and this, Ricardo, leads me to the second point of why philosophy is important. And philosophy is important it, not just because you have to know what ideas to accept, but you must know how you've reached these ideas. So the method is crucial and acquiring a philosophical method of thinking is crucial. To give you a concrete example, some of the people in the opposition in Lebanon, for example, are demanding that it's time for a state church separation. It's time to create a secular system, right? Yeah. But no one is saying why that's good. No one is saying, how can we prove that uh, state church separation is a good thing? They only say, because we've tried to be, uh, to be led by, you know, religious institution and it didn't work, we're fighting each other, then it must be good to have a secular system. And what yeah. do you mean by a secular system? Well, for example, we need to allow civil marriage. Mm -hmm. Well not the reason why you need the separation so so understanding why state church separation is crucial why having a secular system is important why and what is the role of the government is crucial if you want to create not just as you were saying cultural change but personal change because the moment you change your vision, your perspective, your philosophy of what's the role of the government, then now you're changing your perspective of what you can do in that society, right? And I think that's why philosophy is, is crucial. But this, this takes us to a third thing that you and I were trying to explore, which is, okay, so now there are so many people living in, in, uh, in tyranny, And, and by the way, this is not unique to Lebanon and Venezuela. I mean, we've seen the latest news in Afghanistan. And it's yeah. so important and it's so, it's so visual and concrete, the power of ideas. Here's a country that after 20 years of whatever you want to call it, whether American support or whatever you want to call it, or protection from Taliban, here's a country that never undertaken intellectual change they are not armed with ideas they kept accepting the same ideas only i would say with with more moderation and that's why okay. i think it's easy for taliban to come in and just just take over but this will take us uh, elsewhere <laughs> you want to say something no. Yes, absolutely. Let's go <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> you cannot throw me that, that bomb. The rise of the Taliban and the horrific events that we've seen throughout this week are the concretization of the idea that the pen is mightier than the sword. Mm, yeah. Because there you have 20 years of Afghanistan occupied by the most powerful military force in history. 20 years. Yeah. And they invested they, they, in, in military and weaponry and you name it. 
Yes, and and in nation building also, right? Yeah. In, in yeah. resources like food and energy and, and new industry and supporting causes against the Taliban. And still you see them failing and failing shamely because they dare not, and, and we cannot say much about this, but they dare not challenge the basic fundamental philosophical ideas that, that the totalitarians of the Taliban held. Yeah, and in a sense, they are in a better position now, in, which is a worse position. They are reinforced that their ideology is right and they will keep pushing on it and on their vision for the new Afghanistan because not even the most powerful military in the world dared to challenge that. They dared to you know, challenge them in the, in the battlefield. Yeah. And in that context, they knew they had everything to lose. But yeah. intellectually, intellectually, they didn't face any kind of opposition. What, what is the best was, that was ever proposed to, to the Taliban? Oh, let's promote democracy. Yeah. Let's promote free election, free vote. You, But on what I'm going to borrow a line from Churchill. You can't reason with a tiger when your head in his, his mouth. Right? Absolutely. But, But also this brings out a very important point, which is unfortunate that the, the most evil people on earth are successful because they are obsessed with their ideologies. And they are very keen on promoting intellectual ideas. They're evil, but they're intellectual ideas to some extent. And you see that in Lebanon. For example, the most powerful party, which is Hezbollah, which is a religious extremist, they're promoting ideas. They're, they stick with their ideas. They have their ideology, whether you approve it or not. But that's their shield. Even you see it, unfortunately, in the uh, Communist Party in Lebanon. You know, they are following their ideas, no matter the contradiction, no matter what history is saying. They are the people who have literature behind their work. But then you look at the free world and you see that there is no promotion of ideas. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not promoting intellectual ideas. But if the battle is to be won, one must know that the battle is intellectual. It's not merely political, it's not economical, it's not, uh, you know, with the sword and the gun. It is intellectual, at least on the long run. Online, uh, yes. And you still need to find a place there for short-term solutions. Because I, I take yes. it that you also regard that as important. Oh, yeah. We need a solution today for the lack of energy, the lack of food in the market. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. In so Lebanon, what can we Venezuela. do? And this is a question would people would be asking like, okay, I'm living in Lebanon. And by the way, just in parentheses here, it's so unfortunate that I, I did some research on, on Twitter and started following some young people in Lebanon. And what I saw, Ricardo, what I saw was horrifying. Like people who are still in school and university are just, you know, writing on Twitter that I want to die, I want to kill myself, I can't take it anymore, life sucks, mm. you know, like, and, and, and I was reading and, and I spent like two hours just in this bubble of fear and terror from young people. 
And I think they need to be armed intellectually and philosophically in order not to kill their souls. Not to kill their souls. Because you know what? At the end of the day, the, the first land one must fight for is one's mind. That's the only land yeah. worth fighting for. It's your mind. And it's the ideas that you use to promote your life. Everything else is not worth it. But anyway, let's jump to our third segment, which is what can we do? And we came up with a, like three basic points about what do we think one can do if you're living in a country like Lebanon, for example, and you really have no idea what can I do? So let's start with the first point. Yes, the first point is an idea we already explored in our episode, in our seventh episode, which is called, Can You Choose Your Country? And it's an idea that you need to set yourself realistic goals. Yeah. Your goal cannot be, I'm going to change every single one of the problems we're going through right now. Yeah. Your goal cannot be, uh, I want to substitute the political class or I want my movement to substitute the political class because that's not likely to happen. Like I can give an example. Um, if you're thinking about that one of the key problem is in Lebanon is a party that is using force and guns. Well, you have to be realistic that you really can't do anything about it. At least you as an individual, you can't do anything about it. So the only way to, to fight them is, I would say, if you want to fight them is intellectually until you get some support. But you have to be realistic that this should not be your goal, else you're wasting time. You, you're really killing your life. Right. And of course, there are some contexts in which you are willing to take a big risk. Think about someone like Nelson Mandela, who spent yeah. 20 something years in prison because he was really committed to his pol his political vision because he, he had a vision, whatever you think of it. But he's yeah. a good example insofar as he had a long range project for South yeah. Africa. And of course you can question and you have to analyze the facts around his decision of, because in a, in a sense it was a decision, although it, it doesn't sound well to put it that way, to spend 20 something years in prison. I can give a simpler example on being realistic, uh, something more, you know, not too hero heroic, I would say. So instead of, instead of burning tires and destroying shops in the name of a rebellion, focus on, on yourself, focus on, on your goal as much as you can focus on bringing short term goals like bread and energy and whatever you want to focus on. But know that burning tires, even in the name of anger and rebellion, won't get you anything. Because you've tried it be before and you know it won't get you anything. So that's also one aspect of really being realistic. Even right, though that and, and, doesn't mean that you shouldn't rebel, but rebellion must be structured. Right, and that's not yeah. only a tactical point, a point about how to oppose the government. It's a point about the dynamics of cultural national change. Because your actions will mean nothing if the government, the regime, the people in power still have 
the moral high ground. Yeah. They have everything against you. They have the military force. They have the arms. They have some level of legitimacy. But as long as they are morally empowered, that they're doing the right thing and that you don't challenge that on a fundamental self, then your actions will mean nothing. So that would be the first one. The second one we said is the importance of adopting an institutional outlook. And by that, we mean, we mean really thinking about how you can produce, how you can produce ideas, how you can produce maybe small movements in your institutions, how you can produce change in the organization or institution you're working on. So it can be the media, it can be the university, it can be so something that's not directly governmental, right? So for example, if you are leading a university or if you are a student, how can you identify a problem in your university, specifically an intellectual problem that is breeding people who accept these ideas. Like start yeah. observing what are the ideas that we've been accepting for, for the last 40 years that are molding us to accept the system that exists now and work on that. And this takes effort, but it's absolutely worth it, I would say. Challenge your teacher. Challenge your, your editor, challenge yeah. your boss, yeah. challenge the judge. I think that that is the most important thing you need to do. Not only to challenge understand the ideas. ideas. <laughs> yes. And not only to understand them, but to form yourself in them. Yeah. You don't need to develop an intellectual career. You don't need to be philosophical like we try to do here all the time, but you need to Seize the reins of your mental processes and, and your intellectual character and way yeah. of approaching the world. And what you don't want to do is to leave the most important beliefs that guide your life to someone else. Let me give you an example. I have yeah, that. I have one in mind as well. Go ahead. Because these ideas are very, uh, the ideas we're talking about, beyond the obvious political scandals or economic disasters that you see, the moral ideas that inform them and that cause them, even if not intentionally, explicitly, are hard to challenge because we've been raising it. And you can be an intelligent person. It's not an issue about intelligence, uh, that someone can be intelligent or ignorant or stupid doesn't have any significant historical impact. Yeah. But you can be an intelligent person. Like a sociology teacher I once had. She was a very smart woman, well-formed. But she didn't have different ideas fun on a fundamental sense. So yeah. she, she once said, to, to my surprise, because she was very smart and very honest in her own way that the problems with Hugo Chavez was mainly on the application on how he actually installed his his economic system 
But the moral yeah. ideas that he upheld, the goals, the mission behind the socialism of the 21st century, that was right. He was correct in that. If you have that vision about Hugo Chavez or any other government, if you keep sanctioning those ideas, then you cannot be a better country. And your solutions will be short term. Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing the similarities between what you're telling me about Venezuela and what's happening in Lebanon. And I'll give you another example. One of the things that got my attention in Lebanon is that someone in the middle of the revolution, I don't remember who started it, and that's the whole point. Nobody knows. Someone said, you know, the solution is to have a technocracy. We need technocrat. And it's amazing. It's like wildfire. The idea started spreading and everyone in the media, the intellects, and then the politician late, uh, lately started saying, yeah, we need technocrats. And I think this is very important that no one rose and asked the question, wait a minute, what do you mean by technocrat? And how do we know if technocracy is a good thing? Nobody said that. Everyone started adopting the idea that technocracy is a good thing under the premise that, well, instead of having politician, we're going to have expertly dig the country. And that's the premise. And that's the whole idea about adopting a certain mindset and philosophical mindset that you have to stop and ask, wait a minute, if I'm thinking about the role of the government, And as history showed, freedom requires that the government is, is and should be limited to a specific role of protecting individual rights. If that's, if that's what the government is about, let's say, then the expert will do what exactly? And did technocracy ever took hold in the, in the culture previously? What happened? What was the result? So it's amazing. Nobody is doing that. Nobody is doing this thinking process. And even though people are trying to adopt a new institutional outlooks, like, for example, there are NGOs who are training people to become better communicators, specifically in the political feed. And you see mm -hmm. these young men and women standing and preaching about technocracy. And I'm like, seriously, like, can someone please explain what is technocracy? And how do you know that's a good thing? So I think that's another reason why it's so crucial specifically now to start training philosophically, because that would be the only salvation on the long run. And, you know, it's not obvious that, at least from my perspective, technocracy is a invalid term, an invalid yeah. concept. It sounds, it's not, it sounds good. It's not obvious that the role of a government should be limited yes. that that requires proof yes. proof that we are not giving you and i think our whole point is that it's not only about having the right ideas but have training the critical eyes to a spot when you need to consider things on a yeah. deeper layer yeah and, and that's this is applicable mean, everywhere Right? Even in the business world, it's applicable everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is a, an important aspect in relationship to creativity here. Our point is not that you're going to end up 
opposing everyone and, and opposing mm. even the opposition and fighting <laughs> everyone who's saying no the point is that you don't want to be reactive in the face of whatever concept whatever policy whatever new catch phrase or political slogan is thrown at you mm. you want to be one step ahead and be active in your involvement in your thinking about it and you yeah. may reach a wrong solution you may, you may think that technocracy is a valid term and a valid form of government that you can aim for but make sure that you're reaching that point you and nobody else you and nobody else which brings us to our last point which is the importance of cultivating yourself your individuality and cultivating yourself intellectually and in the midst of crisis i think this is a time where it's super important to own your ideas to do the exercise to 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 form a critical eye about not just politics about your own life what do you want to do with your life whether you can achieve it in this country or not and how you can pursue it whether it's a sh from a short-term perspective or a long-term perspective but i would say that's that's the the crux of the whole issue and that's I would say what we're seeing today in, in Lebanon, and I would assume also in Venezuela, is because, is a result of the, the dominant uh, majority of the population are not seeking self-cultivation. They're not building their intellectual ability. They're not focusing on that. And, yeah, and, 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 I, and I get it. <laughs> I get it. If I, if I, I mean, if I remember my university time, The worst class was a philosophy class. That's the worst class you can go to, right? So I, I get it. Uh, I've heard recently some of the philosophy professors in Lebanon, and it's, it's a disaster. It's, it's a very pessimistic outlook at the world. Nobody knows anything. So, so yeah, I mean, I get it if people are not, are not inclined towards intellectual ideas. I get it. And the same applies to, to the humanities in general, which yeah, yeah, which are also essential for developing your intellectual outlook towards the country you yeah. live in, to know the history of the world, to know a bit about economics. Again, you don't have to dedicate your life, your career to this, but you need that education your children your friends also need that education and if you are a responsible individual you won't let that to other people yeah i i want to i want to recommend a book specifically for the people in, in lebanon and venezuela it's by a psychologist a socio-psychologist i think his name is gustave lebon And he wrote a book called The Psychology of Crowds. And he explains exactly what motivates the crowd uh, to go and chant for ideas and, you know, just accept them as quickly as it seems. Though I have to say, I don't agree with all of his ideas, but I think his observation of 
the the hidden forces that motivates a crowd and that eliminates the need for being intellectual and finding your own ideas is so insightful that I think everyone should should at least have a look at it. All except, right. Except yeah. that they are not hidden. They are not hidden. Absolutely. They, they are the convictions that we grow with. Yeah, and this is something we forgot to. to <laughs> this is something we forgot to talk about, uh, which is we were saying that so many people don't take philosophy too seriously, and they say, "What's philosophy got to do with it? We need bread, uh, we need energy." But the whole idea, if you look around you, you will see that even your uh, evasion of the need for philosophy is a philosophical premise. Everything yeah. you're doing now, whether whether you're standing with the government or against it, whether you are working in the black market or trying to produce your own bread, anything is a result of your view of yourself and your view of life as such. And there is an, an, a metaphysical consideration here. Insofar as we are human, we cannot act like animals do on the spur of a moment. We don't have any automatic way of proceeding, experiencing and navigating yeah. the world. We need to think, to think to survive. We need to conceptualize the world around us. We need to plan, we need to make projects in order to live at all. So the requirement of having a philosophical outlook is a survival necessity. It's not a strategic nuisance that Option, we are uh, imposing. Yeah, yeah that, we're, that we are trying to impose on anyone who is against a certain regime or institution. It's your need as a human being. So I just quickly want to recap these three points about what can we do, because we opened many parentheses. But briefly put, in a way we thought about it, that you can remember it is, think about it as called ROI, like Return on Investment, ROI, right? And the whole idea is what you, what you can do is one, be realistic, two, form an outlook, so you can build institutions, produce ideas, impact change in whatever you can based on, on your effort. And three is focus on your eye. Okay, focus on your intellectual ideas, focus, focus on your own independence. You have to become independent intellectually in order to know what would it take to achieve independent from a national level. So that's how I would just summarize it. Okay, any closing uh, line? You want to say something before we... I want to say that it takes courage to oppose a regime in, in any yeah. role you have, whether on the streets, whether in a certain institution like the media, or from your house behind the computer screen. But if you really want to make an impact, make sure that you have the tools to really make your voice be heard and resonate. 
and and I think that tool fundamentally comes down to what are your ideas, what do you stand for, and how is your view of life different from that which you call evil, that you call the regime. Because fundamentally, I think that the difference should be in terms of the view of life that you are pushing for. If you didn't have this difference, then we would be negotiating with the Lebanese government, with the Venezuelan government. But there is a reason why you shouldn't do that. And, and I'm sure that you have many different stories of failed negotiations with the government. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I, I would say three things. Education, education, education. And I think that's the time where all of us can start re-educating ourselves about how to build our intellectual skills, how to conceive ideas, whether it's about the role of the government or whether if I should choose my country or not. So now is the time. Now is the time because you're going to reap the, the benefit of that after a couple of years. You're going to see that it's going to make a big difference of, on your choices and actions. All right. So thank you for listening to Ideas on Trial. We are looking forward to hear your feedbacks and your comments. And if you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to subscribe and share it with other people. If you know anyone from Lebanon or from Venezuela specifically, please make sure you share that episode with them. We'd love to hear their take on that. See you next week. 